Thanks for coming in, Mr. Mahoney. Do you have your member ID card? Yep, I have it right here in the FEP Blue app. See? Great. It's can I... awesome. The app can also help me find a provider and keep tabs on my deductibles. Okay, can I... Oh, yeah, and my out-of-pocket spending and visit limits, and I can call the nurse line. I'm really glad it does all that, but I only need to see your member ID card. Oh, that's it? Why didn't you say so? Fearless is just one tap away. With the new FEP Blue app from Blue Cross and Blue Shield, you can access your health benefits on the go. Download it now at fepblue.org app. I can say it wasn't one of our best days, and uh, you know we have to come out and, and be better. I'm not gonna say he was mad, but I'm not gonna say he was happy either. Locked On Vikings back at it for Week Two, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm the host Sam Ekstrom. Sage Rosenfels, my co-host, calling in from the Great Northwest in Portland, Oregon. Have you gone to a Timbers game, Sage? I have not. Uh, today is uh, the exploration day, uh, so we're going to probably head over maybe towards some some hiking, maybe some waterfalls. The gorge uh, here is a spot I have to see. So uh, today is really the day to get out and explore all that all that is Portland in the in the surrounding area. Mount Hood is just incredible over in Portland. It, it's beautiful looking, and to drive through it, it's it's about as lush as you can get. It's basically northern Minnesota except with rolling hills. Beautiful. Yeah, well, looking forward to it. I have eaten some great food, uh, fantastic food every meal. We're not uh, doing much cooking in the house. We're trying to get out as much as possible and and enjoy the city. Not, uh, similar to Minneapolis, and then it's a great uh, great food town. So anyway, anyway and, let's let's work on this uh, this Vikings podcast here. Some interesting stories. Uh, sounds like the last couple of days. Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, Saturday, Sunday, peculiar practices over at Winter Park. Teddy Bridgewater held out, not from practice entirely, but barred from throwing the football. He entered practice to make some handoffs and basically took mental reps, had his helmet with him, had his uniform on, didn't throw the football, which seems to lend itself to the theory that Teddy Bridgewater has a shoulder issue, even though Mike Zimmer's yet to address it. Sean Hill, the veteran who started in the preseason game, also missing these two practices supposedly with uh, a veteran's day off, which left Joel Stave, fourth-string quarterback, heading into training camp as the first, second, and third-team quarterback. Not a lot of productive work getting done, so Mike Zimmer cancels practice early yesterday. He didn't like some of the sloppy play, and he moves today's practice until Tuesday. So kind of a weird situation with the quarterbacks at practice. Sage, what's your take? Well, obviously, you know, being at the games on Sunday this week, it would make sense to try to have us, you know, the, the talk of the third preseason game is a dress rehearsal. So you'd like to have your week set up just like a regular NFL week would be set up, which is generally a Monday, you know, film and some light, a light practice. Tuesday is your day off. And then Wednesday practice uh, all the way to the game. So uh, the fact that they're, they're changing that schedule, uh, and trying to, which is trying to get ready for the regular season, uh, to fit, you know, to figure out this quarterback situation, obviously, is is very, very important. You know, an NFL practice, really college football, football in general. Uh, if you don't have your quarterback or your quarterbacks, uh, or, or if they're not practicing well, uh, it really can be for a sloppy practice. That the practice sort of goes as the quarterback goes. So if you know, I think I was told that by possibly North Turner uh, early in my career that uh, you know, if the, if the quarterback is sloppy. 
everyone else is going to be sloppy too. Uh, when a head coach wants a good, crisp, clean practice uh, and those types of things, it's sort of on the quarterback to bring the execution level to a to, to a high point and obviously not having your first two guys uh, going to your third or fourth guy um, is not going to be conducive to a, to a high-quality practice. And so smart move by Mike Zimmer here, taking an extra day off. Uh, guys are probably a little sore from you know, the first couple of weeks, you know, three weeks now of training camp and, and two preseason games. So, uh, you know, it makes sense to sort of take a little, little mini break right in the middle of training camp. Mike Zimmer often talks about the high expectations he has for this team and you see him hold his squad to those expectations with the way he conducts himself at practice and the way he demands perfection. And something like this shows that he's taking these expectations very seriously and he's not going to let anything haphazard occur on his watch. Do you find that coaches can be harder on teams that show great potential for greatness? Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a coach's job to really understand uh, sort of the mental state of their team, uh, of in each individual player. Uh, you know, not, not not every team is different, just like every child is different, every person is different. And you know, I've coached just a little bit myself, my son's basketball team, and uh, you know, you try to set a sort of certain standard uh, for each kid, but you have to understand, you know, some kids take harder coaching than others. Some you know, kids need to be lifted up a little bit more. Some kids. Uh, you can grind on them a little bit, and, and, and that's the way they improve. And so I think Mike Zimmer understands that this team has very good leadership. Uh, they've got a lot of very solid veterans, guys like Ch Ch uh, Chad Greenway and, and John Sullivan, who, when challenged, uh, will answer the bell. Uh, so uh, I think that's a good way to, to, to go about it with this football team. It's a blue-collar football team anyway. You know, not a lot of just mega superstars you know, all over the field in this team. A lot of very good players, uh, but not a superstar team. And a lot of times with younger guys like that, uh, you can uh, coach them, you know, very hard uh, and uh, have very high expectations for them. And I, I think it's good to have, you know, really high expectations rather than low expectations. So uh, the players every single day have to show up and, and live up to those expectations. And the only way to get better is to, to work hard every single day uh, and that's always with that end goal in mind of, of going to a Super Bowl. So uh, if it was just to get to the playoffs or just to have a winning season, uh, I think there's something special about having high expectations and having uh, a high view of where you can be. Uh, so every single day you walk in that building, uh, you've got a singular goal in mind. Was it like that in 2009 with the Vikings? It was Super Bowl or bust sort of the mantra? No, I don't think so, but it was definitely we knew we had an extremely talented football team. In my 12 years in the NFL, I'd have to say it was the most talented team that I played on offensively and defensively. We had pro bowlers all over the field. We probably had about four on defense and probably three or four on offense. We were, we were really loaded at every position. I would say the most important position, quarterback, Favre played extremely well that year. So I think we all had, all, all had high expectations to – you know, go deep in the playoffs, maybe have a chance to get to the Super Bowl. I can't say it was Super Bowl or bust, but we definitely knew that was a special football team. And and uh, But I, I can't say that you know, every single day was a, a real grind on that football team. You had guys like Jared Allen uh, and some other guys, even Favre, that had you know, sort of a lighter personality. Mm -hmm. uh, so it wasn't like practice was you know this sort of miserable – uh, you know, grinded out, you know, crabby coaches, you know, something you think of like a Bill Belichick type of practice. Uh, your practices a lot of times were a lot of fun. 
stuff Favre would do, even you know stuff Jared Allen would do with the defensive line. Uh, I mean, they were hard-working practices, but uh, they weren't misery out there. And, uh, you know, who knows if Mike Zimmer coaches that football team, uh, how far that team would have gone. The big media beef right now with Mike Zimmer is his lack of transparency when reporting injuries. And this has been a growing theme in the Mike Zimmer regime. And let's keep in mind, there's not a lot to complain with with Zimmer. He's been a very honest and fair coach. But lately, hesitant to announce injuries. We don't know what's wrong with Mike Harris. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater's thing is odd. We're not sure what's wrong with Sean Hill. And Matt Khalil left practice on Sunday, and we're not sure what's wrong with him. Do you understand why Mike Zimmer is so hesitant to announce these injuries? Is there a logic there that he doesn't want other teams knowing what parts of the body to target, for instance, during a game? Well, I think it's it's always helpful to keep as much information close to the vest as possible. You know, once the regular season starts, the coaches have to put out a, you know, you could say fairly accurate uh, injury report. They don't have to do that in the preseason. You, know, you guys see the injuries happen. Uh, you, you recognize that somebody hurts their knee in a game or somebody has a high ankle sprain or what you can basically just see. You know, maybe you see a player limping you know, to the bus after a game, but you don't have to do those injury reports, uh, anything like you do them during the regular season. So uh, it's, I think it's one of those situations where he doesn't have to give the media or the fans or anybody else information. So why, why would he? There's nothing to his team's advantage uh, to doing that. And at the end of the day, he is there to win football games and has put his team in the best position to win football games. So uh, he's not going to do something that doesn't give his team some sort of advantage. And if anything, could put his team in a, in a bad spot uh, with another player knowing an injury, even it might be week three or four. And they recognize that, hey, Matt Khalil had a you know bad shoulder. I'm going to attack that shoulder. And you know maybe by the end of the game, uh, it's bad again. Uh, so I, I think to keep those injuries under the vest is a smart move by any head coach. And Matt Khalil, you mentioned him. He went out of Sunday's practice with a leg injury. We're not sure on his status, but TJ Clemmings was his backup at left tackle. Poor TJ Clemmings. I mean, the guy gets thrust into his rookie year, plays all 16 games, and they move him to left tackle. Then Phil Lodeholt retires, they move him to right tackle. And now Matt Khalil starts, they move him back to left tackle. Poor guy doesn't know where he's playing day to day. But I think it's a little scary to see a future with TJ Clemmings starting once again on this football team at a different position. Last year did not go well at right tackle. And yes, he's a year older, but I feel like Matt Khalil still gives the team the best chance to succeed at that left tackle position, just based on the ceiling we've seen from him at points in his career. Yeah, you know, Matt has had, uh, he came in uh, as I was sort of uh, my last year with the Vikings, and you know, obviously he has, he's had a bit of an uneven NFL career. He's, he's had some really good games, and he's had some bad games. He's had a couple decent seasons. He's had some bad seasons. But obviously, he's the best left tackle on the football team. You know, his injury might be one of the reasons that Mike Zimmer, uh, stopped practice early uh, the other day. Uh, coaches hate it when players get injured in practice. Uh, it usually means somebody's being sloppy, whether it's offensive line or defensive line, and somebody's not focused and paying attention. And next thing you know, somebody's going to get hurt. You know, big 300-pound bodies flying around. Uh, you know, guys will hurt if players aren't completely paying attention or completely sort of in tune with how to practice. And that might be another reason that. You know, Mike Zimmer uh, he said canceled practice early the other day. Obviously, you know, with Clemens, I, I think that uh, you know it's it's a tough deal for him. But uh, you know, good good things for him in the sense that he is learning to play the left side and the right side. And you know, it may not be a spot where he's starting 
let's just say, uh, you know, this uh, the, the, this NFL season, if if and when Khalil comes back, but you know that will lengthen your career if you can learn to play, you know, three, four, five positions as an offensive lineman. You have huge value to a team. I mean, Joe Berger is like that. He's a guard, but he can play center. He can play right guard. He can play left guard. He can play center. That's a huge help, uh, which has helped him. You know, play now for over 10 years in the in the NFL, and if you just get stuck of I only can play right tackle, I only can play left tackle, uh, and if you've got a good guy at that spot, you may not be on the football team. So, anytime you can do more uh, is is a good thing, and I think Mike Zimmer understands that. Any good offensive line coach understands that. Obviously, it's a challenge uh, to get in the right footwork. Uh, some of the calls are different. Uh, but the more positions you can play on the offensive line, the longer you're going to play in the NFL. And the Vikings do have good depth on their offensive line with Berger, who can play center and guard. They've got Clemmings, who can play on both sides, hopefully. They've got this rookie, Willie Beavers. They've been trying out a couple different guard positions. So the, the Vikings very good at training guys to play in multiple spots. Now, that being said, the offensive line is still a bit of a concern for this team. Can they take a major step forward from last season? And I think back to Christian Ponder in his time with the Vikings. One of Ponder's problems was he got happy feet in the pocket. He would drop back, and it seemed like he panicked before he had to. And that could have been a side effect of a subpar offensive line. I'm curious, Sage, as a quarterback, do you sense when your offensive line is susceptible? Does it make you rush more in those five-step, seven-step drops? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's important to know that if your offensive line is, you know, really good or, or there's maybe there's a couple injured guys, uh, you know, if my left tackle went down, believe me, I, I knew who was coming in, how good I thought he was, what his strengths and weaknesses were, uh, you know, where are running backs and tight ends were on that pass play to help that player. I think everyone's very cognizant of, of those issues. And obviously, the more times you do get hit in the game, the more times you start to think about, you know, as you're going back, can I peek at the, you know, at the offensive line, and in particular the interior of the offensive line to, to step up in the pocket? Uh, that's just uh, human nature uh, to protect yourself. I think for survival, for uh, survival, is to understand what's going on in front of you. And there's games where uh, the same team might be perfectly clean, but uh, there's games where it seems like you're getting hit on every single play. So, yeah, I think it's always smart for a quarterback to understand the strengths and weaknesses of his offensive line. Uh, but at the same time, know what's going on the other side of the football. You know, where is their pass rushing, you know, defensive end lining up? You know, back when I used to play against the Colts all the time, Freeney sometimes would go from left side to the right side. So uh, it was always important to know where he lined up uh, because that usually that's where the pressure was coming from. I want to say your offensive line in 2009 was McKinney, Hutchinson, Sullivan, Herrera, Lodeholt. That's a pretty Correct. that's a pretty formidable offensive line, especially on that left side with McKinney. He was uh he could play at as high a level as anyone when he felt like it. That was the impression I got. Yeah, he was extremely talented and the guy right next to him. Steve Hutchinson, a uh, guy who played in the NFL for you know a long time, probably a ring of honor guy, maybe even a Hall of Fame type guy. Uh, went to six or seven Pro Bowls, extremely strong, uh, athletic, very smart. Uh, and obviously McKinney was just a huge uh, beast over there. And that you said when he, when he was motivated, he was hard to to get past. And he was so strong when he, uh, in the run game. So everyone knew when it was third down and one, third and two, fourth and one, there's a good chance we're going to run to that left side uh, you know, and following those guys to uh, to a first down. That's a good segue into the running game. I want to touch on that briefly here before we conclude. 
I'm probably going to write a story about this, too, coming up, about how the Vikings have experienced a lot of run woes in the preseason so far. And, and obviously, Adrian Peterson, the missing piece, Jerick McKinnon getting the number one reps. And while he's extremely versatile, he can catch the ball well. Is Jerick McKinnon a viable option long-term for this team in the post-Peterson era? Uh, can they succeed with Jerick McKinnon as their number one back? I think that's the question that's on a lot of people's minds. How do you see Jerick projecting as, as an NFL starter? Well, I, I've seen him enough, I feel like, that he definitely is an NFL running back. Uh, I think he might be one of those guys that's not the marquee running back of the franchise. He might be one of those guys that, you know, is a starter but sort of splits time 50-50. You know, a lot of teams nowadays, and Adrian Peterson's a very rare running back, and he is an every-down you know, 25, 30 carry uh, a game, you know, type of back. Most guys just can't do that. And if they do, they're going to have very, very short careers. There's a reason that very few running backs you know, reach until they're 30 years old in the NFL. So I think the best thing for him to do is keep honing his craft and protection uh, and then the pass patterns. His real strength uh, is that he's got some giddy-up uh, to him, and he can go out and run some one-on-one routes. And North Turner's always been very good at having a running back that can come out of the backfield uh, and take on a low linebacker in a one, some sort of one-on-one option route. Uh, so if he can come become that type of back, right on third downs, good in protection, uh, be at a solid sort of first and second down guy, I think he can be a back who can be your starter, uh, but you're still going to need another good second uh, and sort of third running back as well because uh, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be able to take, you know, 25 carries a game. And when it's a fourth quarter and you just need to grind it out with that four-minute drill to run out the clock, He's not that type of back, so you'd need sort of a, uh, you know, a, a, maybe a bigger guy uh, to, you know, to take some of those, you know, third down, fourth down, short uh, carries off uh, off of his plate. Do you think the days of the feature back in the NFL are over? Are we headed more toward a two-headed monster, three-headed monster system where the wear and tear is taken off one guy and spread amongst several? Is 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 Adrian Peterson a dying breed? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you, you, there's going to be, there's always going to be a couple guys that are just very, very rare. And I think Gurley uh, with the LA Rams is one of those guys. And there's going to be a couple in the NFL at all times, but for the most part, I do believe it's going to be a two and three back sort of system uh, with most teams. And, and, and for one really good reason is the salary cap. Running backs are just not getting paid unless you're a, a complete premier guy. Running backs are not getting paid like they used to. So. You can be a solid back and only be making, you know, three to four million dollars a year. You could have two or three of those guys on your football team have three really good running backs, uh, rather than that, you know, twelve million dollar, fifteen million dollar premier back, uh, which are really really hard to find. And so, uh, a lot of times with the run game, it's about scheme. Uh, it's about how things are coached. It's how that offensive line co- is coached. It's about who is up front on that offensive line, the tight ends. What are all those guys doing? You have to invest in sort of the foundation of the run game, which is actually the offensive line, not the running back, uh, for, a, for a running back to have any success uh, at all anyway, even if he's a great back like Adrian Peterson. So uh, more and more teams are shifting some of that salary cap money from the running back position to that offensive line position, paying those guys a little bit more, uh, and then have, the, have just a good solid running back fit into that scheme. It's the Locked On Vikings podcast. Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Sage Rosenfels at Sage Rosenfels 18 on Twitter. Vikings practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday at U.S. Bank Stadium. We'll have lots of updates coming your way on the Locked On Vikings podcast. 
Last one, Sage. The Olympics is done. How much of it did you watch, and what was your favorite sport? Well, I watched a lot. I definitely, I thought it was a great Olympics in the sense we probably saw the greatest swimmer of all time and Michael Phelps, probably the greatest sprinter uh, of all time, and Usain Bolt. Uh, we saw some, you know, I think the basketball was fun to watch. I thoroughly, and I don't even love the NBA all that much, I thoroughly enjoyed watching the basketball. It's a different game, uh, but a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and obviously you have those different sports like handball and field hockey uh, and those things that you don't get to see very often. The men's volleyball, I think, was the, the team men's volleyball was absolutely fantastic. Yes. I think the USA got fourth uh, in that. And I'm not a volleyball person by any means, but that was really – a lot of fun to watch, and so it was a really, really good Olympics. I think a lot of people were, were hesitant or worried that it was going to be a disaster down there, uh, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, it looks like Rio sort of pulled through uh, because the competition was fantastic. All I have to say is, thank God we have Michael Phelps, because if we didn't, then we would have to claim the stooge Ryan Lochte <laughs> as our nation's greatest swimmer. Thankfully, we don't well, have to do that. Yeah, thank, thank goodness for that. Thank yeah. goodness for that. Uh, it, it's too bad that whole thing happened, put a put sort of a damper on the entire Olympic, Olympics, because other than that, I think the Americans really uh, represented themselves well and had a fantastic uh, showing in this Olympics. Yeah, just a crushing medal count victory. Well, Sage, we'll let you go. Enjoy the remainder of your time up in uh, Portland. How long are you there? Uh, just there for another day. Another day. So we got to get a lot in today and then tomorrow morning before I'm heading back to the Midwest. Have a good time. We'll talk to you on Wednesday on the Locked On Vikings podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and follow the Locked On Podcast Network on Twitter at Locked On P. For Sage, I'm Sam. Talk to you tomorrow. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.